Welcome to the Center for International and Regional Studies at Georgetown University in Qatar. These podcasts are part of a research initiative titled Building a Legacy, Qatar FIFA World Cup 2022. Welcome everybody. My name is Professor Daniel Reicher and we are welcoming today Nikki Crosby, one of the lead presenters at Be In Sports and host of the channel's English Premier League and international men's and women's football coverage. We are talking with her about being a female sports presenter in the Arab world and her work at the upcoming World Cup. Thank you for joining us today, Nikki. Thank you very much for having me, Danielle. I appreciate you getting in touch. Yeah, great. So let's start about your upbringing. Uh, your father, Malcolm Crosby, was a former professional football player manager. So I assume football played a major role in your childhood. Could you share some insights? Did uh, the discussions about football at home inspire you to pursue a career as a sports journalist? Absolutely, yeah. I think growing up with a, a father who, well, when I was born, he, he just entered the world of coaching and two older brothers who, one played football um, and... He's now a football agent. The other is football obsessed. So you can imagine my household was just football, football, football. And I actually asked my mum when we did the Arab Cup recently because I did so many interviews with fans and I couldn't believe how, how many young babies were, were at the game. So I was doing Vox Pops and I had these young babies on my arm. And, um, and I said, how old was I when I first went to a game? And she was like, Oh, straight out the hospital, darling. You know, we went straight to watch your dad's team play. And that, that was kind of our life. Um, his job, his job wasn't kind of separate from family life. It was a part of family life. And our weekend would involve going to whatever football match, whatever team he was coaching at the time. We would all go together as a family and we would support him. And then it was just living in households where footballers and football coaches would be sat in conversation talking about you know what starting 11 they're going to go for at the weekend and I'd just be milling around being a disgruntled teenager but somewhere along the line I was sucking in all this information and um it I couldn't fight it I couldn't fight it I suppose it's just football's in my blood what what was quite interesting is growing up when my dad first started coaching at Sunderland um he started at the youth level and The salary wasn't great, so there was a job offering to, to work in the um, Sunderland Youth Hostel. So all the players that, the young players that were not based from the local area, so from Ireland perhaps, um, down south, they would all live in this, this sort of big house, like 20 of them. And my mum and dad for a while ran that. So I grew up with like my brothers who are already footballing crazy. And then you can imagine like, 20 young footballers <laughs> so you can imagine I was just you are know, you still a Sunderland fan I'm still a Sunderland fan yeah I know much to my fault it's yeah it's hard times really it is but uh, <laughs> I know what you're going through I'm a Hanover 96 fan they're playing oh. in the Germany <laughs> but you, you know had some serious glory days <laughs> yes But uh, I watched the Netflix series on, on Sunderland, like many people, I assume. Did you watch it as well? Did you like it? Of course I did. And what was quite funny is 
because Sunderland are in League One and I don't get to tune into their games so much, maybe if they're like on a little cup run or something and I might catch the highlights on YouTube, but really I've caught up with their seasons mainly through Netflix <laughs> and uh, like some of the actual games of, I've, uh, oh, I didn't actually see that when that happened and that league match and this. And so um, it's been a really nice way to connect with my team properly. And it also shows you the, the passion of the people of the, the Northeast yeah. of England. They're pretty special. They're unlike anyone else, I'd say. Nikki, you are working now for 15 years in television. Could you share with us what motivated you to leave your home country, England? and come to the state of Qatar and when did your work here begin? How did it all start? So I was working in the UK. Um, I wasn't too long out of university where I'd been doing work experience with Sky Sports um, and I was doing freelancing work and I was logging FA Cup matches and started producing a bit more and then started doing a lot more interviews when I, I worked for Premier League production but I wanted a full-time position um, and I wanted to be a part of, of something and, and an organization that, that you know, was, was moving in the right direction. And I contacted a man who was pretty, pretty high up at Sky Sports. The name was John T. Whitehead. And then he, he moved over and set up what then was Al Jazeera Sports. And I used to sort of bug him a lot with sending him updated versions of what I've been working on, a little documentary. And, the, and one morning I was doing my edit in Premier League TV and they came in and they offered me a full-time job. This was just like a rainy Tuesday morning. And uh -huh. he, he was like, I want to offer you a full-time um, job as an assistant producer. And I was like, okay, great. I'll, I'll just sit on that and send me the contract, whatever. Five minutes later... I got a, and I've been really searching hard for, for a full-time position. Um, five minutes later, I got a call from Jonty, who said, we'd like to offer you a full-time position in Qatar. I was like, what? Uh, so I had these two job offers on the table. I was only 25 years old and I couldn't decide. So I put it to a vote on Boxing Day to my entire family. I was like, guys, what do I do? I don't know. Do I stay in London and, and keep you know, working away or do I try Qatar? And obviously, like most people, when you, I knew they'd been um, awarded the World Cup, but geographically I had to do a little bit of YouTube, uh, Googling and work out where exactly it was, what was there. And even back then there was not a lot going on here. Um, so uh, I put it to the vote. My entire family, apart from my grandma, said you should go to Qatar. And then I just hopped on a plane and arrived here and we were such a small team there was about five of us then um at Al Jazeera Sports English department and then boom we got the Premier League rights and you know and that's when that when was it and which year Nikki oh so I think we must have got the Premier League rights around 2013 I, I arrived 2010 um mm -hmm. I need I'd need to check that but yeah and then it was like the doors opened and we employed a lot of tons of staff. It's when Richard Keys and Andy, Andy Gray came over. We had guests flooding in. Um, and yeah, that's when my job kind of developed and changed, I suppose. Um, 
but I was a journalist for a long time with with Al Jazeera Sport and Bein, and I was heading to a lot of. I had so much fun. I was just uh, the the Women's World Cup in Germany, the Olympic Games in London, um, Roland Garros. I was just covering sport all around the world, and it, it was a different position to what I'm doing now, where I'm a studio presenter. But it was great because I was so energetic and so hungry to to be at these events and it was oh, it was it was brilliant i have to say so now um you are working in a country that is uh socially conservative uh could you share with us how it is uh to work as women not only in the arab world but also in a way may dominated profession i mean not just here all over the world And um, so what are your experiences that might be also interesting for all our students who want to go into uh, media and how do your experiences here compare with your experiences uh, in England? Yeah, it's a question I get asked quite, quite often, actually. Uh, what's it like being a woman working in football over here in, in the Middle East? And really? it's not too dissimilar to working in the industry in the UK. Um, I've always felt since I arrived here that I've been taken care of by my Arab colleagues, my Arab male colleagues have been respected. Uh, it's a respectful culture. Um, and they, they aren't shocked or surprised by a woman walking walking the offices <laughs> you know there's there's quite mm -hmm. a few of us um especially in terms of journalists and presenter roles um so i think if you work hard and and you, you know you're good at your job i think you you gain respect no no matter where it is in the world you're working from women and and men um i suppose one thing that made the transition quite easy for me is that my my mentors when I first arrived and my my managers were were English and they had come from England to set up this English department um so I was here in the Middle East but I was working from with uh, a group of men who had come from Sky Sports news backgrounds ESPN backgrounds um and with mainly um, English males, producers, assistant producers. Um, however, I do still today have a lot of contact with my Arab colleagues and, you know, they, they're all great. And as long as you're happy to share in whatever they're feasting on and eating at the time at being sports, you're, you're very welcome. You just have to be willing to uh, have a bite of whatever someone's brought in that they cooked the night before. Um, <laughs> it's all about sort of embracing the culture, I suppose. Um, that's something that I was determined to do when I arrived here. Um, and I just made a real effort to talk to people, find out about their lives, find out about their, their, their families, their backgrounds, um, their, you know, their culture. And I think in doing so, I've, I've made my life quite easy here. It doesn't feel like a challenge uh, ever mm -hmm. working in an Arab male dominated world. And I also just think for your students, you just have to be maybe a, a bit of a certain character to be able to, um, uh, I think strong's not the word. Just Yeah, but you are certainly not shy, right? I mean, I watch you on TV, you're <laughs> certainly not shy. 
Exactly. And I think that growing up um, in a male dominated household, always at sporting events, always heading to football grounds, um, kicking around a football in the garden when my brother's going up, having a lot of, you know, dead legs <laughs> um, and scraps, let's say, with with the guys. I've never I've never been intimidated by by um, male environments, let's say. Um, however, if you are, there's still space. And women like me are, are trying to make make this industry a, 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 a warmer place and a better place for women to be because we, we really desperately want more women to work in this industry. I would love to have more female colleagues. Um, and, you know, even though I'm very lucky to be in a position that I'm at, there's still a glass ceiling that needs to be broken and that we need to keep trying to batter down, you know, equal pay and equal opportunities. And it shouldn't just be, oh, you've got a wonderful job and a great opportunity. You know, we should be fighting for those big roles. And so mm -hmm. even though I'm very, you know, honored and privileged to be where I am, there's still work to be done. So your students are a key to that as well. Yeah, so you have been now in the country since since Qatar has been uh, awarded the World Cup. When you look back from, from your perspective as a journalist, what were the most important milestones in the lead up to the World Cup? I know you were covering recently the FIFA Arab Cup and the World Cup draw. So when you when you look back from the day of uh, Qatar being awarded the World Cup to to now like a couple of months before the World Cup happening, What were for you the milestones you most remember? Um, it's a good question. There's been a lot of key milestones when you look at things like stadiums opening. Um, mm -hmm. But for me, the milestones have been the, the moments which involve fans coming together and fans heading in numbers to stadiums um, testing out infrastructure, even testing out things like fan zones. Um, and that doesn't necessarily start where there's there's a sporting event here in Qatar. I think the Asian Cup where Qatar got to the final and won um, was a massive milestone for the for the actual football, but also to see the passion and and the the absolute hunger for for the sport here in the Middle East. Um, And in Qatar, I was at Qatara village and the place went bonkers and the atmosphere was just brilliant. And I thought, you know what, if we get a little taster of this in the, in the, the World Cup from the Arab people in the Arab world, people are actually going to get, okay, there is a real passion for this sport here in Qatar. The Arab Cup recently for me um, was a huge milestone and One of the things I loved about it so much was just inclusivity. And that's a big talking point when it comes to, to this World Cup. Um, but what I saw from the Arab Cup and the, the people who were there, that football was such a family event. And mm -hmm. it's a case of you don't just, you know, the, the guys don't just saunter off to the game. You've got the grandma, the wife, the kids, the newborn baby, Um Then there were so many young girls there, teenage girls and teenagers at the event. And they were just, there was a lot of fun and a lot of music before games, a lot of atmosphere. And that was a, that was a real uh, insight into what we're going to get in terms of it, it actually being a real 
fun event because that's a, a misconception of the Arab world from from uh, the UK or the US is they don't really get how how Arab people party before these things but really is is the atmosphere was brilliant there was live music there was people from all walks of life all age groups dancing really up for the games and then uh just fabulous atmosphere once you got into the stadium so that for me was a, a major milestone um I mean just as I look out my window now and I I, I live on the Pearl right so the Pearl's been here a long time but through the Pearl, I can see Lucille. Um, I can see where the the World Cup final is going to be played, and it's it's just these small pop ups of communities and you know uh, new places to go hang out, like Masherab and Katara and um, the Souk and sort of Lucille, where the food trucks all are, and like these little pop ups where you go, okay, there's there's new places to, to eat, to hang out, to enjoy for where fans can, can go. Um, so it's like these, the, the, big, the big milestones, the footballing milestones, the event milestones, but then these little daily milestones that are making mm -hmm. the country a place that fans can enjoy. So um, in my profession in political science, we have discussions how the World Cup changed Qatar. I would like to ask you a, a different question. I would like to ask you from your perspective, how did the World Cup change be in sports, your channel? <laughs> I mean, um, I, I think it changed it immensely because it, it basically set the tone. We got, we got the World Cup. Um, there's already this hunger to watch football here in the Middle East. We know, don't we, Daniel, when we go to a restaurant, a bar, anywhere, any household, it's on. Uh, and it's it's everywhere. Football mm -hmm. is everywhere here. Um, so in order for that to happen, being sports acquired uh, league rights, tournament rights for all the major leagues, uh, World Cups, Euros, Olympics, everything, everything where a ball was being kicked, being... Uh, needed to to be across it and needed to cover it. Um, there's no other company like it in the world. Um, when I look at the the amount of football that we cover and have for the last decade, it's it's pretty crazy actually because we have these goals rolling in from the Premier League and you know La Liga, Liga, um, and it's it's relentless. And I think. Showing the world how serious uh, the Middle East is, is about football has been has been a huge part of our ethos and, and the process. How has it changed being? Um, oh, is it, I think it's always it's always been like a driving force Like we're, we're getting to this this place. And every time we we look at a league or, we, or a European tournament or a Copa America, it's always with the World Cup in in our minds, in the forefront of our minds. How will this affect the World Cup here in Qatar? Um, and also just learning constantly from other events, um, from other major stories, and it's just all been building up to to World Cup 2022. <laughs> Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I uh, have lived in the Middle East since 28. I worked before 12 years in Lebanon. And uh, so I'm following beer and sports since many years. And my running gag was always I needed like a bread and water uh, because yeah. I'm also a hardcore football fan watching the German national yeah. team and Bundesliga, which is unfortunately not on beer and sports yeah. at the moment. But um, so there is also, uh, when we look at the small body of scholarship on being sports, one criticism is that beyond the great uh, sports coverage, there's not much storytelling. For example, there's a lack of documentaries. Um, what's your take on this? I mean, that that's something that if you went to our marketing team, the people who analyze the numbers and the viewing figures, they would be able to give you a very exact response on that or uh, an exact reason as to why. But I think it is down from the, it, it stems from the changes in the way that, that viewers now watch sports. And uh, it's, you, we know how social media has changed sport, right? And and storytelling. People no longer want to sit and spend an hour of their time watching a documentary. They like these bite-sized chunks of information. Um, so then we focused our energy more on our, our live coverage, which is obviously the numbers will tell you that that's what people tune into more. Um, as someone who comes from a documentary telling background, and that's what I specialized in at university, I, I miss that element of TV production um, a lot. I'm currently working on a, a documentary for our new on-demand service, Todd, on Victoria Azarenka. We've done a ton of filming, and I think that's where we're going to move our, our documentaries to, because if you look at Netflix and you look at Amazon Prime, that's where all their original content and documentaries will be. So we're currently looking at making a lot of um, longer form documentaries for our on-demand service because on our Be In Sports channels, unless you're tuning in, in in the middle of the day, and even then it's a lot of like reruns of games or match highlights, people just want to watch the football. People want to just see what happened. They want to tune in and they want to know what's happening between Man United, Liverpool or Man City, Chelsea, whatever, you know. So it's a it's sadly marketing reasons, um, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Um, but people like me are now getting involved with our on-demand service and hopefully we'll have more uh, long-form documentaries, sporting documentaries for, for our viewers. And sometimes it does feel like a missed opportunity perhaps because we are here on the ground and we're the people who live here in Qatar and know Qatar. And But we're, we're certainly getting there now with the, with the World Cup just around the corner. There's a lot of... Um, ideas for, for features and reports. I mean, I just, my favorite thing recently, I went and did a, a, a really cool report on swimming with whale sharks. And this is something that I'm really pleased my bosses allow me to do. I'm kind of like a little, um, almost like a little travel reporter at times as well. So here in Qatar, I did a feature with them, like they have the second largest migration of whale sharks off the coast of off the northern coast of Qatar. So I went and did a really, um, let's call it elaborate shoot out there with the drone and our really cool underwater cameras. And that was just the most fun ever for me. So mm -hmm. we are we are allowed uh, to get creative <laughs> outside the studio occasionally.
So, so the World Cup is coming up. What can we expect from BN Sports at the World Cup? So give us some insights in the discussions you're having with your colleagues. What we, can we expect from BN Sports at the World Cup? Just going to be relentless uh, wall-to-wall live coverage. Um, we're going to be on air, obviously, for every single game. And during the group stage, that's going to be a lot. So we'll we'll kick off with, no doubt, build-up shows, um, you know, with, this, with the stories um, from around Qatar. So we'll tune in and get reporters at fan zones and outside stadiums and uh, with teams at their camps. And, you know, our build-up will we'll reflect all of that and then it's it's over to the live sport and we'll be at all of it we'll have studios at the stadiums um we'll be bringing in guests some of the biggest names in the industry who will all be out here in qatar um so we'll have no doubt fantastic guests um we'll just be across the whole thing it it will be endless coverage and in arabic english french 4k um I'm just really looking forward to it, but also it's it's also kind of quite daunting that it's coming up so soon, and I've been thinking about this for a decade, and now it's yeah. seven months away. <laughs> so it's also a little bit scary when you're like, I really need to start researching all 32 teams because I don't know which game I'm going to be given that day yet. So not yet, anyway. I'm sure my boss will tell me soon, especially now we know um, who's playing and when they're playing. So. That's exciting. But yeah, it's, it's going to be top quality, the best and biggest names in football and entertainment coming in our studios as well. Um, we're going to have build up shows, live matches throughout, um, recapping all the goals for the action from earlier in the day. So everyone's fully caught up. Um, and then no doubt we'll have a catch up show at the end of the day where you can recap in an hour all the action from from that day and look ahead to the next day's games um but yeah we're reporters on the ground reporters at every stadium fan zone mm -hmm. uh, at the camps with the players i don't think there'll be a stone unturned to be honest it's, it's going to be pretty intense <laughs> yeah so uh december 18th the uh, world cup finals being played so let's in the last question look a bit beyond the world cup um, what do you wish for the future of sports broadcasting in Qatar and the Arab world? Uh, I hope that it continues in, in the same vein. I hope that there's a lot more opportunities given to, to young um, Arab people, especially, and that their desire to, to enter this industry um, increases and that they are studying with you guys and hopefully can be a, a part of something special. We've kind of like laid the foundation, if you will, and now it's them, those guys who need to grab it with both hands and keep it growing and uh, keep the industry going from strength to strength. There's so much sport. I mean, we just had the paddle here recently, the, the premier paddle event in Qatar. Um, and that was like a huge success because it was something new, but it's also something that you're looking to the future. It's not just about football, it's sports in this region and uh, everyone needs to sort of be a part of it. Um, when we look at our being sports coverage, we have the Premier League right still to 2025, hopefully beyond that as well. You know, I was looking at next summer and it's the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, which is, is going to be huge. Um, the, the sport 
we don't want to end and we want to keep hosting live events here and we need young people to start reinventing the wheel as well how do we actually cover these these games especially when it comes to social media now social media is huge and if you can be at events with your phone um blogging and talking us through games i was i was speaking to the guys at the supreme committee who were saying um, they're offering op an opportunity for anyone to be a commentator for visually impaired um, spectators during the World Cup. So in different languages. So, you know, if you if you speak Arabic and you want to commentate on the World Cup games, there's an opportunity that you could do it and that people who are visually impaired could hear your commentary of that live game. Um, so I think now my advice is for anyone at your university who has an interest in getting into this industry and wants to be, be the, the future of this industry is just start on your own, start with your phone, start with your laptop, because that's what it's all about now. It's about so, this social media movement um, and it's accessible. This, this TV industry now is accessible to anyone who basically has an iPhone or a smartphone. Um, so the doors are kind of open, I think, it's down to it's down to young people here in the region who are motivated by by being a part of, of the sporting industry. Mm -hmm. Perfect, Nikki. That was fantastic. Thank you very <laughs> much for our audience. If you're interested in the topics of World Cup and the media, we had a couple of other episodes on with um, colleagues from Nikki. One was with Richard Keyes, her colleague at BN Sports, but we also had an episode with a journalist from Al Jazeera uh, English, the website, and we had another one with the former bureau chief of a news agency uh, in Doha. So check this out, please. Thank you very much, Nikki. That was fantastic. Uh, I wish you all the best personally uh, and professionally. Bye-bye. Uh, Hi, thank you so much, Daniel. I'll see you at the, the games, I'm sure. For sure.